this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com Welcome. And today, I am delighted to have Shell Horowitz. Shell is the author of 10 books. Uh, this is most recent. It's about to be released called Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World. It shows businesses how to create profitable products and services that turn hunger and poverty into sufficiency, war into peace, and catastrophic climate change into planetary balance. Uh, as, a war, uh, as, a, as, a, as a war-winning entrepreneur, he's been inducted into the National Environmental Hall of Fame. Uh, he's the first business in the country to achieve a Green America Gold Level Certified Green Business Award. Uh, he, he's also had at least four awards for his books uh, as Apex Award and being chosen as a finalist for Forwards Magazine's Book of the Year. Shell, welcome. Thanks, Callan. Good to be here. Great, great. I mean, yeah, you're definitely a man of of many talents, all these awards, doing these great things. And I'm so excited about this new book that you're about to release called Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World. But before we start there, let's go back in time. How did Shell Horowitz get started as an entrepreneur? Was your parents entrepreneurs? How did you discover your love for entrepreneurship? My dad was entrepreneurial, although not very successful at it. He had a full-time teaching job, and he always had uh, usually two or three sideline businesses going. So I, I was raised with the idea that that was a possibility, that you didn't just have to go into the, the factory and come out as a corporate clone. So I actually came out of college at a time when the economy was pretty rocky, and I was having trouble finding work in what I'd been trained to do. So I figured I would do freelance writing and I would start a typing service to tide me over until my freelance writing career took off. And that was the beginning in 1981 of this business that has evolved way, way past its origins. I haven't typed a term paper in 26 years. I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, done every time, every evolution has been more interesting, paying better, and having more impact on the world. So I, I think it's been a pretty good spiral. So let, let, let's, let's, let's dig into your college years, because college is something that we talk about on this show quite a lot. You say you kind of had rocky rules. You, you kind of, you know, after you graduated, you really didn't have no prospects. What exactly did you study in college? Well, I did the closest thing my school had to a journalism program. My degree was called Communications and Theater, mm -hmm. and the communications piece was mostly print journalism, a little radio on the side. Mm -hmm. And it was 1977 when I finished, and I was 20, mm -hmm. and uh, living in a very depressed area at the time in Providence, Rhode Island, and couldn't find work as a writer at all. Ended up moving to New York City to take a writing job at what turned out to be a crooked literary agent, so I didn't last there too long. Mm. So then I was unemployed in New York instead of being unemployed in Providence. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 that's the worst place to be unemployed. <laughs> it's, it's definitely true. But I did eventually, I, I found uh, some part-time work for a different literary agent who was honest, mm -hmm. and I then 
actually got a job as a Vista volunteer, community organizer, with the Grey Panthers. So for a year and a half, I worked organizing old people. And again, I was 22 by then. And, uh, and, and let me stop you there, uh, Shell. Is this the same Vista program that's now part of AmeriCorps now? Yep. Oh, interesting. Yep. And, and you said at that time it was called the Grey Panthers? Uh, the Grey Panthers was my the organization that I was assigned to. It was Vista, Volunteers in Service to America. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that program was that old. Yeah, it goes back to JFK. So this was during the Carter years. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. So, so you know, obviously you didn't have much luck. Uh, you kind of kind of was hitting Rocky Road to New York. Um, kind of, what kind of inspired you to kind of uh, go on and start your own freelance running? And let's talk about what was it like during uh, the nineteen uh, late nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, because the freelance I would imagine the freelancer writing uh, industry then and what it is now is obviously completely different. So I'm curious to hear how that was. Well, of course, we didn't have computers. Yeah. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the internet. So when you wrote something, you would write a query letter by mail, postally, and you'd include a, a stamped return envelope for them to give you an answer. And then if they said, yeah, send us the article on spec, then you would write the article and send it, and if you were lucky, they would publish it, and you uh, sent them again a, a postage-paid envelope to return it to you if they didn't want it. And sometimes you might find that you would get, oh, goodness, uh, you, you'd, you'd send out 20 queries and you'd get one go-ahead, and then you'd out of your 10 go-aheads, you might get one published, and then out of the 10 published, you might have to go and uh, use some pressure to actually get paid for the work you did from three or four of them. So it was not an easy thing to do. Wow. And it's, uh, my, my goodness, now anybody can be their own publisher. Most of the stuff that I write now, I publish on one of my own websites, and I don't have to worry about all that. And uh, it's, it's very, very different. But also, the technology has shifted, but the basic idea of writing good, clear material that people can understand, that people can learn from, that people can act on, I think that part is still valid. But what happened to me is that I decided that this was too much headbanging and being a freelance article writer was just not enough reward for the huge amount of work. So I turned to, on the one hand, writing books, but also writing for business. So I began to write things like press releases and advertising copy and marketing plans and all, all the different kinds of writing that you need in a business. Right now on my desk, I, I have a, a book cover project for a client that's been working with me for two or three years. Mm. And uh, they publish several books a year, and I write many of their covers. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So let's kind of fast forward. Now, you know, I, I definitely appreciate that contrast as far as uh, the freelance writing. I'm quite sure a lot of, uh, I'm quite sure, uh, a lot of freelance writers today, if they had to go back in time and to continue with their craft, many people would probably just throw in the towel. So, uh, so it's, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really nice now that if I want to spin an article a different direction, I can bring up that article, write a new lead, add a couple of different examples, and off it goes. I don't have to type the whole thing in from scratch. I do not miss those days, I have yeah. to tell you. But it's 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 a weird business, and and now because there are so many channels, it's very hard to find people that'll actually pay for that kind of work. So I'm very glad that I'm on the commercial writing side, where I have clients that work directly with me. I do the work for them, and they pay for it. Indeed, and I, I, I love it. You know, uh, you know, for me, uh, uh, in my freelance writing uh, 
journey. I've had several different clients, and probably probably my most favorite ones is the Fortune 500 ones because they tend to pay the most. Well, let's actually go into this, and then we'll come back to that. Let's talk about your first book. Uh, you know, at, at what year was this? Because I'm very curious to see kind of comparing an author nowadays and, comp- and comparing an author kind of, you know, 15, 20 years ago. When did, when did you uh, publish your first book? Well, it was 36 years ago, 1980. Oh, that's perfect. So let's talk about that because I'm quite sure the pers- – I mean, well, I, I kind of almost – I'm almost definite and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But the perception of an author was dramatically different from today than it was in 1980. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, yeah because in 1990, 43,000 books were published in the United States, 43,000 separate books. Mm. In, I think, 2007 was the last number I've seen. It was 3 million. Mm. So everybody's an author now. Yeah. Which doesn't mean you still can't get a lot of cachet, and particularly if you publish through the traditional houses and people realize that somebody actually read it and said, hey, this is good enough for us to publish. Mm-hmm. But it is a very different universe, and it's the kinds of advances that were common in the 90s are rare now. Although my, my best advance was actually a book that came out in 2010. But, uh, Great. Uh, and we'll definitely talk about that a bit later. Start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. Your first book, you know, well, you know, pri- prior to your first book being published in 1980, uh, I would imagine you probably would need a, a literary agent, correct? Yeah, well, the funny thing is, actually, this particular book is a weird one because I was working for a literary agent. As I said, after I left the crooked one, I was working for an honest one. Mm -hmm. And he had written a long ago book about nuclear power and why it's a terrible idea that came out in 1969. And he was one of the two authors on that book. And then when Three Mile Island happened, the first big nuclear accident that people heard about, not the first one, but the first one people heard about, I was working for him and he knew that I had used his book in... 1974 in a classroom project about whether nuclear power was a good idea. So he knew I had an interest. He knew I was writing actually a monthly column for a local publication in New York City about why nuclear power was not a good idea. Mm-hmm. So when Smile Island happened, a publisher came to him and said, we want to bring it out again. And he threw the job of updating it to me. Mm-hmm. So at age 23, I became a published author with wow. a real publishing house. And uh, my deal was not with the publisher. My deal was with him. Oh, I see. I see. So he, he agented the book, and then I, I subcontracted to him to write the book. I see. I see. So you, basically, you was his ghostwriter. Uh, yeah, except my name's on the cover as a with credit. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Well, okay, great. And, and when did you post your second book, Shell? That was my first self-published book, and that came out in 1985. It was my first book about marketing. Okay, interesting. And I made every mistake you could make. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the production values of that book are horrible. Um, the content's good. Uh, a lot of that content actually migrated into some of my later marketing books, like Marketing Without Megabucks right. and Grassroots Marketing. 
but um, it was fairly skimpy. It was a small book, and as I said, I made tons and tons of mistakes. I didn't know anything about self-publishing. Now I consult on it, but I've had a lot of years under the bridge, a lot of projects, both of my own and the authors that I work with, mm. that really, and, and let me tell you, the biggest lesson I learned from this is you should not do this without a guide. You want a Sherpa, because it is a complicated process, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of minefields, mm-hmm. and by helping people avoid those minefields, I have, I think, often paid for my worth in the fee many times over for some authors that I have saved from some really expensive mistakes. Right. And, and what was self-publishing like? Because, I mean, back then there was no create space. So, you know, did, did you have to did you have to kind of look in a yellow phone book, yellow book for uh, for for printers, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe, maybe for maybe for a cover designer? You know, what was that process like? Okay. Well, a cover designer I found locally, and that was a mistake because he'd never done a book of cover before, and he didn't really know the first thing about it. He was a skilled commercial graphic artist with a large portfolio in the advertising world. Mm. He didn't know book covers, and I have a cover that did not work. Um, the printer was in Iowa. I'm trying to remember how I found them. I suspect it was an ad in Writer's Digest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure. It was a long time. No worries. Time. No worries. And I did have, I, I vowed that I was not going to do another book until I had a computer. So in 1984, I bought the very first Macintosh model, wow. and I did use a computer to write that second book and every book I've ever done since, thank goodness. All right, all right. <laughs> and, 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 you know, how, were, were you selling a lot of books, uh, self-published back in the day? No, no. Uh, I have found that my books work better for me mm-hmm. as a sales aid for my consulting and speaking than the, the, as a direct revenue generator. And that's been true whether I've self-published or whether I've published a book through a traditional house. And I've done five each way. I see. So um, it's, I, I've never made a substantial living from writing the books. But when somebody reads the book and says, uh, do you ever work with people individually? Do you think you might be able to write some press releases for me? Do you think you might be able to write my web copy? Uh, do you think you consult with us on how to incorporate social change into our business? That's where the payoff is for me as a book writer. I see. And, 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 and you're talking about back, back in the day, even up until now, right? Yeah. 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 yeah that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really, I mean, I didn't even know self-publishing existed, you know, back in the 1980s. But it's interesting that uh, they yeah. your story. <laughs> I got news for you, buddy. Walt Whitman and Ben Franklin were self-publishers. Uh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I always kind of, I, I guess I don't want to say I didn't think I thought it exists, but I always thought it was more like kind of coveted, more like accessible to like certain people as opposed to like it is now to pretty much anyone. Yeah, well, the, the big difference was that you did a print run and you had to have a place to put the physical books. You didn't yeah. run an order of 10. You ran an order of a few thousand. Yeah, I see, I see. I see. Uh, that, that's the biggest single difference. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we didn't have Amazon then. Mm-hmm. So distribution was its own set of challenges. But it was easy to get press. If you did, I, I got lots and lots of articles, particularly about marketing without megabucks, when that came out in 1993. And uh, I'm also of the opinion that a book isn't dead uh, six months after it's out unless you make it dead or unless you write about something like how to solve the coming Y2K crisis. <laughs> yeah. Well, come January 1st, 2000, your book is toast. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> yeah. But most books have a shelf life that's much longer than the traditional publisher will give it. What would you say, uh, what would you say to the typical shelf life of a book or shelf? 
there really isn't typical. Some books that were written in the 80s are still selling very well in the business world, stuff like uh, Ken Blanchard's books or uh, the, the guerrilla marketing series that I'm a part of. The first book came out in 1984, uh -huh. and that book is still a very, very strong seller. And other books, really, they, they say their piece, and either the market changes or the conditions change or the book just doesn't get any traction mm -hmm. and, or the author walks away from it and it, it shrivels and dies. I see. But but I, I've, had, I've had really good press coverage of books that were eight and ten years old sometimes. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the bookshelf, Marketing Without Mega Bucks. This is, this, is, this is your third book, correct? Third book, yeah. Yes. Let's talk, you know, what was the inspiration behind that book? Well, I decided that having self-published book number two, that I wanted a better publisher than me. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I did a kick-ass proposal, and I got an agent interested, and the agent got Simon and Schuster interested, and we did a deal. Uh -huh. And then that agent went on to reject my next, I think, 16 proposals, six proposals. Wow. Uh, so eventually that agent and I parted company. Uh -huh. And I did other books through other means. Mm -hmm. But uh, that, I did find that having a book with Simon & Schuster and later having a book with John Wiley & Sons, it does open doors. And especially now when you can do a book in 45 minutes on CreateSpace, um, uh, to have that kind of a weight, to have a 200-year-old publisher say, yeah, we like it, we want to publish this, that is something. So it, it, it definitely builds credibility. And I'm a big believer in credibility. You've seen my website and the book, all the testimonials uh -huh. that I can get people, for the example, the new book, Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World, which is out now. Uh -huh. um, that one, to, to get people like Jack Canfield, creator of Chicken Soup, and uh -huh. Seth Godin, the famous tech and marketing blogger, have both endorsed that. Uh, one of the biggest names in the big green business world, Joel McCower, endorsed that book. Mm -hmm. And actually, another very well-known person in that in the green marketing space, mm -hmm. Jacqueline Ottman, has endorsed it. And on and on and on. There's like 60 endorsements. Indeed, yeah. And I, I have entered it in an award, and I hope that this time in a few months, I'll be able to say that it's an award winner like so many of my other books have been. So you do want to build credibility, and you can build credibility with a lot of different ways. And this is one of the things that I work with people on is, okay, how can you get the best credentials that you can, and then how can you put them out in the way that is most favorable to your cause? Yeah, let's explore that a little bit, Shell. Now, we use our 20s and your, you know, your 20s, you know, having a book, you know, you know, during that time, really gave you credibility. Do you think it still lends the same credibility up until now, since everyone could just simply write a book themselves? Or do you think that has changed a bit? It still impresses people. It's somewhat less impressive than in the days when there were 40,000 books a year, but it still impresses people. It's still one of the very best credentials you can have, and it has so many uses in your own marketing. Mm -hmm. If you're a speaker, it's so much easier to get gigs if you have a book. And in fact, if you are a speaker and you have a book, sometimes you can get the meeting planner to buy a certain number of those books and either hand it out to attenders, or I had one guy who had me speak at a conference, and he bought a limited number of books to use as an early registration bonus. Mm. And it was a great deal for me. Yeah. It, it sounds like it. <laughs> Want the full episode? You can get it when you become a Prim 20 premium radio subscriber. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy 
to get your premium subscription today. Get one hour commercial free episodes, private mastermind calls with our guests, and much more. Go to reachandfinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription. For just another way to help you start reaching your finish line. It, it enables you to leverage things in, in different ways. As an example, my sixth book, which was also self-published, Principal Profit, that came out in 2003. And literally the day before the presses rolled, that's the last book I did that actually had a print run as opposed to doing on demand. I see. Uh, the, the last book that I published. Uh, certainly the Wiley book and, um, you know, when I work with another publisher, they print. But uh, for when I do my own books now, I print as many as I need right then. Mm-hmm. So that book I printed, I was going to print 2,000 copies, and the day before it was going to press, I called up the printer, and I said, make it 3,000 and ship the extra 1,000 to this address in Texas, because I did a bulk sale to Southwest Airlines mm-hmm. that actually made the book profitable the next day when the presses ran. I had wow. already for my costs. Wow. Yeah. I mean, definitely, show when people hear stories like yours, you know, it definitely uh, inspires you know, it, it gives a lot of people hope, you know, to, to be authors. You know, I, you know, I write about the topic a lot as far as, you know, kind of the, the author's life and the expectations. And a lot of people see a lot, a lot of people see the statistics, how, you know, most you know, the average author doesn't sell them one and find your books and they feel deflated. But, you know, hearing stories like yours and, we're, you know, when you, and where you're able to do a book by, you know, with Southwest Airlines and then you're able to, you know, uh, you know, you know, you know, you know, uh, have it a meeting planner to buy a bunch of books. You know, that's really that's really a inspiring you know probably probably it's not something where a person can quit their day job but as you stated before it is a foundation that leads into other opportunities which ultimately can be a profitable uh, sustainable living yeah thank you and uh, again another way to build credibility is to get publicity mm-hmm. i am i will confess a self-described publicity slut mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know i i saw your query i forget if it was on harrow it or was on harrow yeah yeah, and I just grabbed it. And you're not somebody with an enormous reputation, a household name, but I was like, okay, here is another podcast that I can put into the world that will be out there for years and people will find it. So I reached out to you and said, I'd like to be a guest on your show. Yeah. And I, I do a lot of that. I, uh, if, and those people who don't know about Harrow, helpareporter.com. Mm-hmm. I think it's also .net, mm-hmm. is a wonderful service. I was Harrow member number six the day it started as a Facebook group. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I have gotten publicity through this service in the Wall Street Journal, Entrepreneur Magazine, many times, New York Times, on and on and on. And when I tell people that I've been interviewed in those sorts of places, their eyebrows go up and they take me a lot more seriously than uh, if I say I've been advertised, I've been profiled in in Bob's Sunday marketer and 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 gazetteer you know yeah <laughs> for sure yeah uh, yeah yeah, so yeah I'm sorry go ahead that's a free resource yeah you indeed help a reporter and you sign up and you get three emails every business day with anywhere from 20 to 60 leads of reporters actually looking for story sources which is so much better than sending a cold press release to a list of journalists who don't know you yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, I, I that's something you know I use uh, quite a bit to find guests for my show, and of course, that's how that's how I that's how I found you. Uh, you know, I, I I do think I do think it's worth you know stating, and and, and this is something that you, you'll probably speak a bit further. But uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times 
um, people they like to go for like the big shows, but sometimes the big shows doesn't give them the return uh, that they want. So like like, like to, to give an example, like <clears throat> so my show uh, it start off uh, start off as a podcast and it still is a podcast, but it also you know every episode I record is sent out to several radio stations, uh, mm-hmm. you know in the U.S., uh, in South Africa, in Philip in, in the Philippines. So basically, it's it's, it's also even though it's, even though it starts as a podcast, which still is a podcast version, uh, technically is also a internationally syndicated radio show. That's great. So you can you can promote yourself as an internationally syndicated radio personality. Yeah, and that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. but it, it's funny because sometimes the obscure has a big benefit. I remember many many years ago, somebody requested a review copy of Marketing Without Megabucks, and I get this hand typed letter, not a computer, uh, not on letterhead, that said, "Send me a review copy." And I I filed my response to him. The file name was something like response to bogus review request. Mm-hmm. And I said, please, I'm not familiar with your publication. Please send me a copy. Mm-hmm. And he did. Mm-hmm. And it was this horrible, ugly, mimeographed thing. Um, no graphics, really just about the ugliest thing I'd ever seen. And it had a, a circulation of 3,000. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, okay, this guy is pretty small potatoes, but it's an art. I, I was at that point needing more reviews to quote from. So I said, okay, here's the review copy. Not expecting much. Well, <laughs> he ran the review. It was a rave review. It was buried in the middle of his newsletter. It was hard to find. But those 3,000 people, those were loyal people. When he said jump, they said sure. Mm. And I sold 60 books through that ugly, ugly review. Wow. And I wrote him a thank you note. And he was so thrilled with my thank you note that he ran the review again and sold another 30 copies for me. Wow. Oh, wow. that was actually the most copies I've ever sold from any piece of press. <laughs> and it was something that I, I almost didn't even respond to. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, definitely if a person is starting off as an author and a person doesn't really, you know, have, you know, uh, kind of no, um, uh, you know, no accolades, they kind of kind of have to start small and work their way up. And, and it just shows, you know, even, even even small publications like that can definitely still uh, can still, uh, you know, offer a great return, uh, you know, you know, on time. Uh, especially uh, if that person's audience is very engaged, like 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 you stated with uh, with that publication, you know they had a very engaged audience, and you know he was able to sell sixty, and then the next time he ran it again, he was able to sell thirty. Hey, most most authors nowadays show uh, when they do a you know something like a podcast interview, you know they barely able to sell two books. So mm-hmm. you know so to, to sell ninety to sell ninety, uh, that's that's. That's quite impressive, you know, to say the least. Yeah, it, it's certainly more than I've ever gotten with the coverage I've gotten in places like the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the thing, show. That's the thing, you know, people think that, you know, if they get that feature, that, you know, all the money is going to just fall down and it's going to start raining money. And, you know, people... <laughs> it, it's funny how people have these fantastical uh, expectations. I mean, they are good because it's, it's good to have those brands attached to your name. You know, but at the same yeah. time, uh, it's not always guarantee that a feature in a publication like that is going to, you know, you know, bring a lot of book sales or bring a lot of speaking engagements or those type of things. But so, yeah, it's it's it's, it's really you know, like you've been doing like you've been doing. You've just been, you know, you know, putting yourself out there, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, expose yourself to to uh, get more opportunities. And, and basically, it's, it's, it's the more you get, uh, eventually, the more success you're going to have. Would you say that's right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and it is a spiral. You, 30 years ago, I was very happy to get very small publications. And now, when I look at Harrow, I, I am somewhat more fussy about what I respond to. Uh, and I do look at what kind of shelf life will it have. Like, again, if you're, you've got an audio that you're going to keep online forever, uh-huh. it's more worth it to me to do than a fleeting little two-minute segment on some commercial radio station. Exactly. You and I get to talk in depth for an hour, uh-huh. and it's going to be there, and people will stumble on it, and I will uh, put the link in my newsletter, and uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. So a lot sure. of people get to hear it over time, and you, of course, build your audience. And uh, I presume that five years from now, uh, that it might be maybe a, a better thing to say, hey, I was on Callan Diggs' show, and I was on it way back in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the goal. That's the goal. And so people want to get in contact with you or follow you, how would you do that? Okay, my email address is S-H-E-L, Shell, with one L, mm-hmm. at com. My phone number is 413-586-2388, and I'm willing to take your call anytime from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., U.S. Eastern Time. Uh, Twitter is my name, S-H-E-L-H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z. And um, actually on that freebies page, going beyond sustainability.com slash freebies, one of the other things is there's a self-assessment tool for how ready you are to do a green business or a socially conscious business. And if you do that, you actually get 15 minutes with me. Awesome. Awesome. Loving it. Loving it. Definitely check that out. Going beyond sustainability.com forward slash freebies. Shell, thank you for being our guest. It's been a pleasure, Callum. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist as seen in Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.